Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Well, I'm very excited today for a couple of reasons. Number one, I want to let everybody know that this is the first week that we are doing our show, Positive Talk Radio, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific every week every day so you can always tune in to uh positive talk radio at three o'clock on pacific time in in the united states of america and you can uh listen to some of the great people that we have on and today is no exception because we've got a great author she's just put out uh almost a year ago well maybe about a year ago um and it became a number one seller in canada uh in the as as a uh, novel um she is from originally she's from india i i do believe and uh she's got lots of stories to tell about that and she's a a terrific writer her name is soborna uh roy chowdhury uh, I think that's close. Is that close? Oh, it sounds wonderful. It's the closest. Yes, very, very close. Oh, very, <laughs> very good. How are you today, my dear? Um, I'm doing very well. And uh, thank you for inviting me to, to your show. And I'm very pleased to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I'm to you. very glad you're here. Where Now, where are you right now? I live in Houston, Texas. So actually, I live in the suburbs of Houston. I live in Sugarland, Texas. Um, and I'm talking to you from my home. <laughs> oh, very nice. And uh, Sugarland, Texas, what's the temperature there today? Yeah, that's that's something to worry about because um, it's 100 degrees, well, 103 degrees outside. And oh. it has been like this for the past two months. So we had heat advisory almost every single day and we didn't have any rain. So we are in, uh, you know, uh, stage one drought conditions right now. Uh, we are not allowed to uh, water our, our lawns. I mean, we cannot water them more than twice or thrice a week. Yeah. And um, so everything's brown. Yellowish. Yeah. The grass is yellow and uh, the bushes are getting yellow. So we are very worried because, uh, you know, I've lived in, I've lived here for 15 years now and I've never seen anything like this. This, this year has been terrible. And it's getting worse all over the planet. And it's, yes. uh, you know, and for those among us who think that uh, global warming is a hoax, <laughs> I'm to tell you, it's yeah. not. Uh, yeah. Those of us that are living through it, and you are living through it in, yes. in a really uh, big way. So um, just stay cool. And I imagine, I imagine you, have, I, you have to have air, air conditioning, right? I do, I do. Can I switch on my fan? I switched it off because of the noise. <laughs> uh, go ahead and turn it on. And see what we'll see what it sounds like. If I you get any background noise, let me know. I will. And so far, it's not. Mm -hmm. And if it keeps you kind of cooler, that's yeah. much better. Anyway, I would hate for you to uh, get overheated talking to me. <laughs> so, so, so you're an author, but you also are. Um, you had a career before you were an author. What, what did you do before? So I, I came to U.S. when I was just uh, 18, 19 years old. And I wanted to study chemistry. You know, that was my, the love of my life. And um, so I wanted to do a Ph.D. in chemistry. And so I came as an undergrad here. 
and I pursued, you know, a couple of masters in chemistry. So writing was not in my life at that time. I did not ever think that I would end up as a writer. So I finished my chemistry degrees. I went to teach. Um, I, I taught college. I taught high school. Um, so I was very happy with my chemistry life till I took a workshop in writing and find out I could write. <laughs> and it became a very, uh, a bit of an obsession for you. Yes. Um, you know, when you realize uh, how healing writing can be and how fulfilling writing can be and how it can help other people heal as well, um, you want to do it. You want to do it more and more. So I'm very grateful that I took this writing workshop. This was this was years ago. This was in Boston. I used to live in Boston before I lived in Houston. And I took this writing workshop from um, Grub Street. It's a it's a um, writing community. And I had this wonderful teacher and uh, he he gave us a writing prompt. He said, why don't you start meditating? He switched off the lights of the classroom and he said, start meditating. I'm going to give you five minutes. And after the five minutes, you are going to pick up the pen and you are going to start writing. And he said, so when we picked up the pen, all he said was, who do you see? Okay, who came before you or who do you see? And that night I saw a girl um, who I recognized instantly because um, she was a maid who used to work in my aunt's house in Kolkata. So, um, you know, she used, to, uh, she used to be a maid in, um, in India. And um, I, I recognized her and she had a very tragic story. So I started to write about her. And this became a short story. And this short story was actually expanded later on to become my novel, Everything Here Belongs to You. If you want to know more about the girl, I can tell you. Well, I do know that the um, in, reading, in reading some of your work, I know that... Um, in some parts of the country, in some parts of the world, women are not treated, they're not treated very well. And in this particular case, um, her father, as, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but her father would come and she worked all the time and he would take her money and she was funding their family and left with virtually nothing. Correct. And yeah. she felt like she had she there was no way out for her and so sadly at one point in time she took her own life yes yeah, so this this part of the story is actually based on that real girl that i used to know in my aunt's house so yes it is fiction but you know in the beginning parol's story that you read is based on this real girl um so she used to work for my aunt and every month her father used to come from the village and demand her co complete entire salary. And then on top of that, he would make all sorts of excuses to her that this month has been very cold. I need to buy an extra blanket or I need to repair the roof of my house or, you know, I have asthma. I need to buy medicine. So he kept on extracting more and more and more money from her. And the girl was very frustrated. She used to come to my aunt and she used to cry and say, you know, um, I, what does he think? Am I his bank? Am I going to just keep on supplying paper notes to him for the rest of my life? Um, and, and, and help me in some way. But my aunt, you know, she's a very nice person. She wanted to help, but there was nothing she could do. 
because if she said anything to the father, the father would say, this is my family matter, you stay out of this, right? So, um, you know, this went on for months and months. And then one day, it was six o'clock in the morning, the girl always came down the stairs to work, right? She used to live in the terrace room in my aunt's house. And my aunt was calling her name, it was six o'clock. She was very perplexed that why is the girl not coming down? And then she, she went up the stairs and um, she opened the terrace room and there she was hanging. So the girl had used, you know, her sari as a noose around her neck and she was hanging from the ceiling fan. And my aunt, you know, she felt her legs and the legs were still warm. So she had just done it, right? So my aunt is a very brave person. She took her down and she, she tried, you know, all sorts of things, CPR included, to revive her, but she didn't come back. And, um, you know, all the family members gathered there. And then um, the father came from the village. The girl's father came from the village. He got the news, he came from the village and he started shouting that, you know, you killed my daughter. You know, I left my daughter and it was your responsibility to take care of her and you killed her. And then uh, he demanded lots and lots of money. My aunt was able to give him some, you know, as a compensation, he wanted money. But of course, my aunt could not give him the amount that he demanded. So he went back to, to the slums and he got a lot of people who came with sticks and stones and started to break the windows. And then finally the police came, you know, it was a huge, huge deal. Um, so this girl and her father never left me. And that day, you know, <laughs> a chemistry teacher just closed her eyes, did some meditation, went into her subconscious and saw that girl. And I felt that the girl wanted me to tell her story. It was very urgent almost. But she wanted, you know, people to know I, what yeah. happened to her. What happened to her and why? And that dad, dad story. And, and as, as it turns out, dad was just pissed off because his bank had just died. Yes. So, you know, he used to actually, we found out later on, he was quite a drunkard. Like he used to drink a lot. And so he used to use her money uh, to drink and gamble. And here she was, you know, working day and night, washing dishes, <laughs> washing clothes, uh, sweeping the floor and accumulating money, you know, bit by bit and only to be taken away by her father. So, you know, enormous amount of exploitation, uh, unbelievable tragedy. And it's a, it's a shame that there are so many places in the world where that goes on. Uh, that's, you know, when they talk about trafficking, one of, the, one of the things that they talk about a lot of trafficking is that parents sell their children to other people because they need the money to survive, which is one of the bigger uh, aspects of trafficking that's out there. Yes. Um, and it's a sad, it's a sad thing. And it's, it's hard in now in India, I imagine it's being a woman. It's hard to be a woman in India. So, um, in, in my story, I, you know, there are two women, right? There is Parul and there's Mohini. So Parul is a maid and, uh, she comes to work in Mohini's family and Mohini is the employer's daughter. So um, there's obviously, you know, both are female, but both their lives are quite different. 
because um, uh-huh. Mohini's father is is a weightlifter. He's very well known. So they have a big house. She has a bank balance. She has she's going to go to college. She, so her future is very secure and she's well cushioned from all sides. Right. But Parul, you know, the maid, she lives in constant fear and uncertainty because she doesn't know what her future is, what is going to happen to her. And she lives in tremendous amount of poverty. So I show in my book that these two girls have a very close relationship. They're like sisters who grew up in the same family and love each other. However, you know, there's tremendous amount of class difference between the two of them that ultimately pulls them apart. And that's how the story evolves, that, you know, they they drift apart from each other. And that leads to a devastating, um, that has devastating consequences to this family. And that is the, the name of that book is uh, Everything Belongs to You. Everything Here Belongs to You. Oh, sorry. Everything Here Belongs to You. What can, what's the um, premise behind the title? Yeah, so um, even though Paru, you know, the maid, and Mohini, the employer's daughter, are extremely close, right? Um, Paru always feels this discrimination in this house against her, right? Um, while Mohini goes to a very um, rich and prestigious private school, Parul goes to a free Bengali medium school. Um, Mohini is always told you know, by this family that you will grow up and you have to study hard and you are going to go to college. But Parul is told that, you know, you are sooner or later, you're going to drop out, you know? So don't worry about you know, doing your homework. Uh, you have many chores, you know, household chores to do. So focus on them. Um, Parul sits on the floor um, while she eats. She has separate plates and, and cups in this house. And she has a separate bathroom. Um, so she constant and she's not allowed to sit on the furniture of this house. So she feels this constant disparity, discrimination that this, this family sends her this message that you are not at you, you are not at our class or our level, right? So um, this type of classism really alienates her, alienates Parul from this family. And so the title, you know, everything here belongs to you is almost like Parul telling Mohini that even though you say this is my house and I'm your sister and your mother calls me her daughter, I don't really belong here. Everything that, that I see around me actually belongs to you. And that is a truth. Help me understand this. Why could she not sit on the furniture? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Even to this day, if you go to India, maids are not allowed to sit on the household furniture because it is considered that they they are um, they come from very poor homes and uh, they don't have proper hygiene. So if they sit on the furniture, they may I don't know, you know, soil them or something. Um, do they do they not? allow them to like i don't know bathe or take a shower in the house no 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 they they're supposed to take shower um so if you're living in with with the family then you have a separate bathroom okay um but if you're coming from um if you're commuting to the house uh for, then you're supposed to take a shower in your own, own house right um but uh it, it is always considered okay so let me just tell you how they justify this so um, the mother in this family keeps on telling Mohini, okay, that just remember that you are the daughter of a Bhadralok, okay? That means um, 
in 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 Hindu belief, there are two types of people. There are Bhadraloks and Chotalok. Bhadralok means bigger people, and Chotalok means smaller people. So Bhadraloks are supposed to do white collar jobs. They live. Um, they they are supposed to go to school and college. Um, they are cultured. They are educated, right? And Chotaloks they do menial jobs. They are small people, and uh, they they have to live this life, you know, because they must have done some kind of sin in their previous life. So they are meant to live this way. Nobody should feel sorry for them. So Chotaloks get a completely different treatment from Bhadraloks. So Parul is considered to be a Chotalok, and so she has to accept that in this life she is going to suffer like this. She will be always discriminated. And she has to make up for her sins. So, uh, yeah. That's well, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just curious because are these uh, just because of their, uh, their their religious background, or is it their ethnic background, or is it kind of a combination of both? It's a combination of religion and caste. Caste is very important in India till this day. Um, so there are upper class and lower class. Okay, so the caste system has been in in the part of India I come from. They would call it Bhadralok and Chotalok, but it's actually upper class and lower class. Caste. And who yeah. decides who's upper class and lower class? Is it by by virtue of the money that the that the families always had? No, this is a religion. I mean, Hindu religion has set up uh, this uh, this kind of caste system. There are four caste systems, right? And the lowest ca uh, caste will always have uh, their own. Um, own occupation. They are supposed to be, you know, they will do all the menial jobs. And the upper caste, which is the Brahmin caste, uh, they are supposed to go do education and prayers and have high, high level jobs and things like that, right? Um, so the Kshatriya class, which is the second highest class, um, they are warriors and they are supposed to go and, you know, fight. And then there's uh, another class which is supposed to do business. So everything in, in, in Hindu religion, everything is defined that whatever class you're born into, you will take up that occupation. Okay. Now, is that because of their belief in reincarnation that you're born into a specific class because of the sins that you committed in a previous life? Yes, exactly. So if you commit sins in this lifetime, you pay for your sins by bor being born into a very lower class in your next birth. That sucks. <laughs> and this can go on for generations. <laughs> I mean, this can go on forever, right? <laughs> because if it's so, if you are born into that class, then you are um, the the sins of your father or your grandfather or or somebody or in a previous life for you, you they get visited upon you continually and continually forever. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird system to operate does it you know, you know so well number one i'm glad you're here so that's um, why i wanted to shed light have... on this system that you know th these are things when you are inside the culture and when you're inside the society you don't see these things i mean if you think about me i grew up in india and i grew up seeing these kind of girls appear in my house from time to time to work as a maid they would be six years old seven years old eight years old and they would come from the village, very poor family. And my mother would make these things happen, right? Like she would have separate plates for them. They would not sit on the furniture. They would sit on the floor. Uh, they would not go to good school. I saw them firsthand and I did not think anything of it because I was inside the culture. I did not think that child labor is wrong. 
that bringing a child from uh, uprooting a child from her own natal family and bringing them to the city is wrong. Um, I, I did not think of the child's rights. It's only after I came to America and I saw a different culture, a different way of living, a different way of thinking that I think that child labor is wrong. And what is happening to these girls is wrong. Now, does it happen to boys as well, or is this primarily a girl-driven thing? No, both young boys and girls come to live in these households and work. Um, for boys, um, I have seen them work in, in many businesses. Like, um, you know, in a, they can work in a grocery store. So if I go to a grocery store in India and I say, oh, these bags are very heavy. I cannot lift them. I cannot take them to my car or to my house. Then uh, a six-year-old or a 10-year-old boy will appear from nowhere, okay? Very thin, emaciated kind of boy. And, and uh, you know, the, the shopkeeper will say, hey, take these bags to the lady's car or take these bags home for her. So the boy would follow me, you know, I would be walking home and the boy would have 15 bags with him following me, you know, laboring away. So child labor is so common and nobody thinks anything about it. You know, that so the, the boy should be in school instead of carrying my bags, right? So we're talking about six or eight-year-old kids yeah. that are ripped from their families, taken into the city, mm -hmm. and they live. Uh, if they if they live with the business owner, uh, then they're treated as a second-class citizen, and then they work uh, as a six or eight-year-old. They work all day, every day. All day, every day. Yeah, there are no holidays. There is no Saturday and Sunday in that life. Yeah. And if you do any, if you make any mistakes, then the shopkeeper is going to slap you on your head or your neck and say, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. It, that is a, it is so contrary to what happens here. And because we've got, you know, child labor laws and, and that sort of thing. And kids, we try and hopefully kids will have an education. And not, it's far from perfect here, yeah. but that would be, um, so, when the kids are taken from their homes, are their parents compensated for that? Um, or do they have to give the kid, do the kids have to give their parents part of their salary? That's how um, it happens. Yeah. And so always, you know, the father and the mother comes and collects the salary from the, from the kid. And from the shop owner themselves or from the kid, the shop owner pays the from kid? From the shop owner. Yeah. So the father would come and collect salary from the shop owner. The shop owner won't give it to the child. He will give it to the father. So you could have a child, you could, <laughs> you yeah. could have a dozen kids mm -hmm. and they could all be working in the city and yeah. you as the father are making money from the children. Yes. Um, and that's how you're living. Yes. So the father doesn't have to do any work. He can even have, you know, he can have uh, addictions, right? He can, uh, he can have, he can go to card games, which is, uh, you know, gambling so yeah. um the father can have a very luxurious life and the children you know that's why they want to have more and more children um it's because children bring money yeah Isn't it, that that is just amazing and and your books which everything here belongs to you mm -hmm. is the one that is currently out and uh um i'm glad you're bringing this to light i never would have even you know, when um, when we talk about trafficking and this, this is a form of trafficking because the kids are destined for a life of uh, they're Do any of them learn how to read 
or write? Do they go to school at all? Yeah, so this is what happens. They are usually put in very poor government schools. And then um, I actually visited a government school in my neighborhood just to learn what's happening there. And um, I saw a lot of empty benches. So I asked the teacher that, uh, why is your classroom not full? You know, what's going on? There were like only six or seven students there. And she said, it's so hard to get them to come to school because their parents want them to go out and earn money. So if they get a job and they earn money, that helps the family. So I cannot, I cannot entice them or I cannot uh, tempt them to come to school unless there's a lot of food. You know, I mean, if there's a great lunch in the school, then they will come to eat the lunch. Otherwise, you know, um, they will come for a few days and then drop out because, you know, they're making more money. Um, their parents want more money. They don't need they don't see the value of education. What is the lifespan of some of a child who's been working since six years old for their entire life? And at what point do then do they get married and then they repeat the same process when they have kids? Yeah, so it can go both ways. Um, so the kids, when when they grow up, they, they find some kind of job, like they can become a driver. You know, in, in India, you have chauffeur-driven car, driven cars, right? And people don't drive themselves. They get drivers to drive their cars. So some of them become drivers. Some of them, uh, you know, work in industries, you know, menial jobs. But then they get married. They have children. But now when I went back to India, I noticed that they have become a little bit the city dwellers have become a little bit more cautious. They are understanding that it is important to uh, get their children education because otherwise they will be stuck in that same uh, situation that they are. So I noticed that they are saving money and trying to push their own children to English medium schools um, and, you know, uh, and, 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 and forcing them almost, you know, beating up their children if they don't go to school. So this culture is changing in India. I, I noticed that, you know, I, I interviewed a lot of people and they told me that they want better futures for their children. And they do understand these that these um, public schools or, you know, government schools are not giving them the right education. And sixth grade education takes you nowhere. So they are pushing their children to complete high school, to go to college. Things are changing. There are better opportunities now here. That that's that's good. I'm glad things are evolving and are changing in the right in the right way. Yeah. Um, and so, but and by the way, thank you again for for shedding a light to this. And because it it you know it's so beyond my thinking that it's even possible, but it happens all the time. Yeah, and uh, as I said, I mean it doesn't bother Ma or Baba in this uh, in this book, right? I mean the father and the mother uh, they actually think that they are the saviors of the maid, right? That they save the maid somehow by giving her food and shelter, and they are doing her an enormous favor by keeping her in the house all the time. They're ignoring, you know, the, the the dark reality of her life that she was snatched away from her own family. She had to give up her religion. That is the most important thing in my book. That to live in this family, um, Parul has to give up her religion. She's actually Muslim, but she has to live as a Hindu in this house. So this girl, you know, she she gives up her future. She she you know sits at their feet all day, and she has to give up her religion. And the sense, the family, they they think nothing of it. 
it doesn't bother them at all because everybody's doing it when everybody's doing it it's somehow justified you know all the middle class families in india are doing the same thing so why is it wrong that's amazing that's just simply amazing because you know um i know that um religion in some parts of the country and some parts of the world being a muslim or being a hindu is very important to the individual to the family and stuff like that and and to become to become a now correct me if i'm wrong but to become a hindu if you were a muslim you're now ostracized by both religions is that yes. fair yes yes so um basically um the way i have set up my story is that um, parul is born into a muslim family and when she is in the village she um, excuse me her father is muslim and uh, she comes to this house when she's only 6 years old and the father tells ma you know the mistress of the family that uh, my daughter needs this job very badly you have to give her the job but the ma says that but she's muslim how can i keep her right um muslims are not allowed to work in hindu families so um ma says that the only way i can let her work for me is if she changes her name so her original name parul's original name is mumtaz it's a muslim uh, sorry it's a muslim name and then she changes her name to a hindu name and ma tells parul that you cannot tell anyone that you're muslim as long as you work for me you will live in this house as a hindu girl and you are going to follow hindu customs and hindu religion and hindu rituals and you are never going to tell anyone not even in a whisper that you are muslim because otherwise you know if our family members come to know that i have a muslim maid they're not they're going to stop talking to me right they're going to um and they're going to ignore me right i got to tell you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it 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 floors me. Uh, first of all, you know, um, in the United States, it's freedom of religion, or in some cases, freedom from religion, and so we don't look at it the same way as some other cultures do, yes. like like in India, where if you are a Muslim, you can't talk to a Hindu, or if you're or vice versa or you can't work i imagine the same holds true that you can't work if you're a hindu you cannot work for a muslim or vice versa yes and and that and same thing mhm it's so it becomes very class centric the whole system is based on class and religion correct yes and uh, poor women they suffer this every single day um i met i interviewed several muslim girls who say um that you know i live in the village and i need work desperately i have to uh, go to the city and find work but uh, because i'm muslim they won't give me work right uh, mo- most rich hindu families will not give me work so um what i do is i um <laughs> they said that they they dress up like hindus so they wear um you know a, a red vermilion dot on their forehead okay and they wear shell bangles on their um on their uh, arms and then um they wear a sari and they don't cover their head and they come to the hindu family and say that i am actually hindu and they take a hindu name so they keep on working in these um hindu families even though they are muslim 
they keep on pretending that they're Hindu and, uh, you know, just to earn a salary, right? And then one day, if they get caught, like in my story, um, Parul gets caught because she's, she covers her head and she bends down to pray. And that's when Ma catches her. So if, if the, the owner of the house, the Hindu owner, ever sees them praying like that or, you know, um, putting on some kind of minority symbol, um, then that, that's going to give them away. Then they are immediately fired from the house. So they lose their job. Yeesh. Um, I, and I've, I've got to ask you because, mm-hmm. and I don't know whether this is prevalent in the book or not, but it seems to me that if you are taking on uh, uh, young girls who are living with you and staying with you, that there's a there's a potential for there to be abuse of that child and also either physical abuse, mental abuse, or I hate to say it, even sexual abuse. Is that true? It can happen, yes. Um, um, yes, I have seen little um, boys and girls who came to my house to work. We used to live in an extended family with lots of aunts and uncles, right? And uh, I have seen them getting beaten uh, often if, if they do make a mistake. And the biggest fear is that if anything goes missing in the house, then the, that child gets blamed. I have seen so many of these cases where um, the, the mistress of the house will say, my gold jewelry is missing. You know, I cannot find my necklace or I cannot find my earring. And immediately the suspicion falls on that little child, right? That you took it because you are an outsider, right? So, and then the police will be called, even the police beat up these children to make them confess, right? So, of course, you know, they, they, they are told that, oh, you are my son, you are my daughter, but they are not. They are outsiders and anything goes wrong, they will be blamed. And there's no one to protect them. They're completely helpless. Well, I, uh, all I can say is it's important that books like yours get um, written and read uh, because even though this is a, um, a fiction, it's a fiction based in reality. Yeah, of course. Every writer, they draw from their own experiences. You know, the moment I touch pen to paper, I'm sure, you know, uh, even though I'm thinking they're imaginary characters, I'm sure, you know, my real experiences are coloring my characters, right? Or, or what I'm writing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I somehow feel that this made, she wanted me to tell her story, you know. Uh, especially Muslim women are so underrepresented in literature today. Um, they don't get their stories heard. They don't get a voice. So uh, that's why I, I selected, you know, a, a Muslim maid to be my, my protagonist in this story. Well, I think it's important that uh, that women, well, and you know, and we, and we were talking about a little bit before the show, that it's important for women to be treated fairly and to be treated equally uh, with, uh, with all of us um, smelly old men that are out there. And it just amazes me that, in some cultures that um, women are treated as so much less than, than men um, and get abused and they, they lack education, um, all, all kinds of things that, that, are, that are really bad for our, us as a society as a whole. Absolutely. 
And then the if you think of the other character, Mohini, yes, she's in a much better situation than Parul, right? That you know, she she has all the privileges of having a house, a car, a bank balance, you know, a good education, all of those things. But even then, uh, she 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 suffers because um, Mohini wants to be a weightlifter. Her father is a weightlifter, so she also wants to be a weightlifter and. Uh, this is her way of uh, connecting with her father, showing her love for her father. And also she's very ambitious. She wants to win competitions. She wants to get good at this sport. So from very early on, she goes to her father's gym and she learns weightlifting. But then uh, her, her, all the relatives uh, notice that Mohini's body is changing because she's getting more and more muscular. She's getting, getting more masculine, right? Um, so they get very worried about her and they say that Mohini, you have to stop weightlifting because uh, if you look like this, no one is going to marry you. OK, they will. You will never find a husband. So this sport is not for you. It's, this sport is not for girls. So you have to get out of the gym. So Mohini's father keeps on supporting her. But all the uh, other members of the family, they create a huge a huge deal out of this and they try to take Mohini out of weightlifting and ultimately they succeed. So Mohini and Parul both, even though they are classes class apart, they are both struggling in my story. They have their own struggles. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a contrast uh, that I, sh I show in the gym that the men, the young men, they are, uh, they are working out and they are pumping muscles, whatever, pumping, uh, they're getting pumping more and more muscular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're getting more and more muscular and, uh, you know, they, they, they're getting empowered. And the girls in this house, they're struggling with their own, um, you know, limitations and, and the way society treats them. Both of them, they have uh, their own story, which um, and they're, they're struggling against or they're fighting against. So is it like boys are allowed to do and achieve whatever they like and girls are allowed to grow up and have babies right so the expectation is that the girl definitely needs to marry and have a family and she should do there are only certain occupations she's allowed to do um she should not try um you know she should not uh, venture beyond uh, some some of the limited things that are told that she's allowed to do like she can be a, a teacher a doctor a writer things that will keep her home right and, and and make her look pretty and then she will um yeah when she grows up she will get married and have a family now at what age is growing up what does that mean in 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 these societies uh, how old that also you? yeah that also depends on what class you belong to right so in parul's case um parul is 16 years old in my story and she thinks that it is time for her to, for her father to find her a husband, okay? Because in her village, almost every girl gets married at 15 and 16. And uh, the father does find a husband, but not for her, but for her sister, who is only 14. So in the village side, even to this day, girls are getting married at 14 years old. But Mohini, who comes from middle class, uh, is going to go to college and when she's 23, 24 years old, that's when the pressure will start. That it's time for you to find, find a, or time for us to find you a husband. So is it accepted in, in these cultures that uh, 
that the husbands are chosen for you? Don't the girls have any say in this? So once again, um, Parul's class, usually arranged marriages are very common, but these days we do see love marriages also. Um, and Mohini's class, I mean, in, there, there, is a, there, there is this uh, conversation or dialogue in my book between um, Parul and Mohini, where Parul says that my father will find me a husband. And Mohini says, you should find your own husband because, you know, you have to love him. You have to spend the rest of your life with him. So why are you waiting for your father to find you a husband? So it depends on, on the family, on the, on the religion, on the class, all of those things. But yes, arranged marriage, marriages are still common in India. And they, the way they happen is um, the, the parents look into the same class, I mean, same caste, sorry. They, 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 they would try to find a husband from the same caste and the same religion. So they, they, um, they usually have like a, a matchmaker who will bring them alliances, right? And the matchmaker will come to the daughter's house and show alliances, um, you know, maybe photos of the groom, what he does and, um, and what, um, you know, caste he belongs to and the age. So then the family will pick up one of the photos and say, you know, that we want to pursue this one. How old is a, is a, a man in that situation? When it he depends. Uh, he can be 10 years older or he can be uh, two or three years older. But usually uh, in, most most, in most states in India, uh, the men are older than the women. But um, I think in Punjab, it's, uh, the woman is older than the man. So, yeah, but you, usually it's, it's it, within 10 years. And, um, and is divorce a thing? Uh, in India, divorce is happening recently, but it, it was looked down upon or stigmatized a lot before. So, Well, I, I, I got to tell you. First of all, I'm glad you came here. Could, now, could you have gotten a Ph.D. in India? Sorry? Could you have gotten your Ph.D. and your doctorate in India had you stayed there rather than coming to the United States? Yes, uh, because I come from a Bhadralo class. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Bhadralok's are allowed to go to college and get a higher education and and pursue yeah um pursue certain professions for a girl certain professions are allowed yeah you cannot be a weightlifter but you could you can become a chemist yeah can you be like a ceo of a company and be a woman it's not easy um but you know there are Indians who are CEOs of companies, right? I mean, you oh, yeah. know, uh, uh, Indira Nuri is the CEO of Pepsi, Pepsi Cola. So yeah, I mean, women definitely can rise to great heights if they want. They are open to do that. But um, there are many obstacles in their way. There are many. Um, there, there is very a little encouragement, little push. So if they if they do rise, you know, that that means they did it on their own. They fought a lot and did it on their own well i'm just glad you're here now because houston houston is different than even though it's texas uh <laughs> houston is, is different than uh than india and stuff so let's talk more about you do you have another uh book in the works 
No, right now I'm just so busy promoting this book, <laughs> going to book club after book club and talking to the ladies. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I just feel like uh, we write the book, but um, our readers have a soul connection with us. So when I talk to them, they open up and then they start the, to tell me their stories. And then, um, you know, a lot of healing takes place, both for me and for them. So I absolutely love going to these book clubs and talking to the ladies there. It's, it's a, a lot of women, well, and you know this, that there's a special bond between, they can be, between women that men generally don't have. Mm -hmm. And you you tend to be able to support each other in in really cool ways. And that's, that's one of the things that me being a man, I kind of miss that, that other men and I don't have that kind of relationship mm -hmm. that women tend to have. Um, yeah. is, that, is that biological? Why do you think that is? So um, in my story, I, I show, show that kind of relationship between Parul and Mohini. So the maid and the employer's daughter have that kind of relationship that they share everything. They tell each other everything. They play together. Uh, whenever one is heartbroken, the other one, you know, consoles her. Um, they're able to share everything. But as they grow up, you know, um, Parul notices that Mohini is changing that she wants to hang out with her school friends more. When the school friends come to their house, um, Mohini calls Parul a maid in front of them, you know? So their roles um, are kind of chosen from them, right? Uh, um, I mean, both, they want to be sisters. They want to be very close to each other, but uh, the class kind of tries to uh, separate them by putting a lot of pressure on this relationship or this friendship. And uh, so, I mean, I've shown in my book, uh, in, in many different scenes that um, Mohini slowly is, is, is pulling away from Parul. She's becoming uh, more and more conscious that, you know, that I, I, I am more cultured, I'm more educated, I have different friends, I'm going to college. And Parul is left behind. Parul has nowhere to go. So Parul wants to hang out with uh, Mohini, but she's not allowed to. So their relationship slowly falls apart. And uh, this, this tremendous sisterhood they used to experience um, actually uh, goes away. And I show Mohini having a lot of regret later on because she understands that Parul is moving away from her. Parul stops, you know, as they become young adults, Parul stops sharing her stories with her. Um, Parul, um, Parul, you know, goes out of the house but doesn't tell Mohini where she's going. Parul covers up, you know, um, covers herself up. I mean, Mohini is aware that Parul has new friendships, that she's sneaking out of the house. She's doing things behind her back, but there's nothing Mohini can do. Uh, Mohini can do about it. So this very, very close relationship they had growing up starts to, uh, you know, starts to fade. And this has, in the end, they ha it has devastating consequences for this family. That, this is, so that is so sad. Yeah. That that um, happens. But it happens to people, you know, that um, kids form relationships at school and they, they decide that that's who they want to hang out with and and stuff like that. So it's it's too bad. It really but is. But you are absolutely right that women share a lot and women also support each other a lot. I mean... Um, 
in India, in India, I, I, if anything happened in my house, you know, um, five of the neighborhood women's would, women would come and, and help us through, through the trauma or, um, you know, whatever tragedy has happened. They, so they, we could share a lot. We could, um, I think, so you can live through a lot of, uh, bad experiences because you have these strong female relationships, a strong female bonding, um, between women. Uh, this is how you take away your pain by being able to share. How is the relationship in India between men and women? Is there a division there as well? Relationship between uh, men and women? Between in men and just just people, you know, like in the workplace or uh, not not men and women that are married to each other, but just in the same social circles. Do men only hang out with men and women hang out with women or do they hang out with each other? Um, I'm going to say even even now in Houston, where I live, when I um, in the Indian society I see here. Um, in, in most gatherings, I see men hanging out with men and women hanging out with women. You know, men are always talking politics or, you know, they're uh. talking about where the country is going. And then the women will be talking about saris and jewelry and things like that. So I, I see this, this, uh, I do not know why they don't sit together in the same room and talk to each other, <laughs> but I, I see this, uh, clear this division always. Yeah. You know, and I saw this, um, I have a couple of good friends that are, that are of the Mormon faith and they have got a, a cultural society that, that operates in a certain way. And I saw that all the women gathered around in a certain place and mm -hmm. were having their conversation yeah. and the men were over here just having their conversation about all the important things in life. And the yeah. women were talking about recipes and, yeah. and kids and things like that, I guess. So right, right, right. exactly. That's, that's exactly what happens every time. Yeah. Uh, and it's too bad because if we if we had conversations with each other and we understood that's the one way of getting to understand each other is to actually talk with one another and listen. Right, right. So that that's uh, one of I, mean, I don't I'm not talking about men and women, but one of the things I wanted to write this book about is um, or the impetus for me to write this book uh, was that I noticed that. In most religions, you know, um, most religions, hardliners are becoming more important, right? Yes. And uh, the uh, and and they they're shifting more and more uh, on the right, and then um, and that ultimately is causing more and more violence, right? Yes. So um, uh, I here I talked about Hindus and Muslims, but I'm, I, I saw that all over, right? In every single religion, um, the the hardliners are winning. And uh, so I, I wanted to address this in, in my book and, uh, and, and, and ask this question that what can we do about this? Why is this happening? And, uh, and, and, and I had the same, same suggestion that you just gave that we have to talk to each other. We cannot, you know, blue, state, blue, blue people cannot just talk to blue people and red people cannot talk to red people, right? I mean, we have to find a way to talk to each other. Uh, even if... Um, I mean, I have an uncle who doesn't like uh, Muslims, right? He's Hindu and he doesn't like Muslims. 
but I make sure that I talk to him. I, yes, I don't like his views. I don't like, um, you know, what he has to say about other people, but I still make sure that I keep the conversation open and I try to reason with him and I try to change his mind and I try to give him real life examples of people, right? Who have done good things for me and are of another religion. So somehow we have to, we cannot just stay in our own little bubble or our little arenas, right? And, and, and think everything is okay with the world. Everything is not okay with the world. And if we, we uh, get so isolated and so alienated from each other, this will lead to major violence. And we are already seeing that, right? So we have to find a common ground. We have to find a way to talk to each other and showing our humanity to each other. That in the end of the, at the end of the day, what do we all care about? We care about, you know, having a family, having children, sending them to school, getting them a good education, being able to earn a wage and live a life, right? Yep. We are no different. We are all, all over the world, people want the same things, okay? Nobody is planning or plotting anything against anyone. They're just trying to live a good life. And it helps when we can live that good life together as all one people, but we have to talk to each other and we have to accept the fact that, you know, and I know it, it goes back thousands of years, but Hindus and Muslims and Christians and Jews and everybody, we need to talk together and it's okay to have a different religion, mm -hmm. but it's not okay to treat other people differently because of the religion that we have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, um, you can have your own God and I don't care how you pray to your God. Okay. But uh, there should be love, you know, I mean, we are all the same. We are all humans at the end of the day, you know, we care about the same things. We, we, we are, you know, our, our lives are very, very similar. We are very similar people. So why should religion divide us? Why should religion come between us? It should not. It it really it really should not because we you're and you're absolutely right. We are all we are all one people, and we're all humans, and and stuff. By the way, we've we have been talking with Saborna. So, <laughs> could you spell? Could you tell me your name, please, so that I don't screw it up again? <laughs> no, no, you're doing very well, Saborna Roy Chaudhary. Ah, Saborna Roy Chaudhary, and uh, get the book Everything Here belongs to you it's a number one bestseller in canada and uh you can go to amazon you can go everywhere to get it right barnes you can and noble, also, yeah yep barnes and noble you mm -hmm. can also go to her website which is um http www.sabornaroychaudhary.com spell spell then uh, spell sabornia to spell your name <laughs> yeah it's s-a-b-o-r N A Roy Chaudhry's R O Y C H O W D H U R Y. All one word, Saborna Roychaudhry.com. And you are a pleasure to talk to, I have to say. <laughs> and and I really appreciate you writing this book because even though it's a novel, it's got reality all over it. Yes, I've drawn from my own experiences. It was a pleasure talking to you too. You're a wonderful host. 
And what you do is very, very important. And we're all grateful that you do this. Well, why, thank you very much. I'm really grateful for what you've done. So I guess we'll have the Mutual Grateful Society. <laughs> I'm a member. <laughs> you, 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 are, you are simply awesome. And uh, um, in order for us to make meaningful change, we have to shed light on some of the things that our people would rather not talk about. Right. You know, it's Having topics. Yeah. It's impolite to talk about the fact that you've got people that can't sit on the furniture and they have to sit on the floor and, and stuff. And um, I, I, it just blows me away. But that's just me. Um, I, I need to go ahead and go. But is there anything that you would like to say before we end the podcast? All I'm trying to say is um, please read the book. Everything here belongs to you. Um, it has many important themes and messages. And also, um, this book is kind of um, a micro view of a macro geopolitical situation. So you will understand what is happening in India at this very moment. It's almost a snapshot of the geopolitical situation in India at the moment. So if you care about uh, Indian politics and you want to understand it, this is the book you should read. Because everything that is happening in the whole country is happening in one house, in one family. Very well said. Very well said. By the way, I got to ask you, uh, in your house, did you ever have any cobras come by? No snakes in my house, unfortunately. And no elephants either. Did you say unfortunately? <laughs> fortunately. Yeah, fortunately, I should say. <laughs> yes, snakes would snakes would, would elephants? You have elephants wandering around? Well, when I first came to America, a lot of people asked me if I had, if I owned an elephant, if I rode an elephant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I oh, want to tell you now, right now, no, unfortunately, I didn't have any. <laughs> now that's a stereotype. If you if you know, it's like um it's like hmm. I suppose now are cows still sacred in India? Yes, and they have become even more sacred now. After, um, well, we we have a new government, right? Um, uh, it's a it, it's a Hindu government. It's called BJP, and uh, they have said that cows are so sacred that you cannot kill them and you cannot eat beef. So um, cows. Well, um, a lot of people um, there are there are I think there are like called cow vigilantes who go from house to house to find out if you're eating beef. And if you are eating beef, then violence will be done to you. Oh, good heavens. Good heavens. Can't we? So cows are that sacred. Yeah. So so in a country that has a population that in some cases are hungry and they can't, they can't uh, uh, eat any beef because they're sacred. Yes. So to the Hindus, the beef is sacred. And so, you know, Muslims are beef eaters. Um, so India has like 14% Muslim population. That's almost 200 million Muslims. And uh, even though, you know, it's only 14%, 200 million means it's the largest population of Muslims in the world. And now they are, they are told that they cannot eat beef. And uh, especially in rural areas, if people find out you're eating beef, then you're in a lot of trouble. You can get arrested, you can get beaten, you can be almost killed. We have got a lot of work to do in our world, I'm afraid. Yes. 
to make it. Uh, and it's going in the wrong direction. Um, it, it seems to be. Seems to be. But, you know, sometimes the pendulum swings farthest to the wrong side before it comes back to the right side. Yeah. A um, lot of journalists have shown a lot of um, lot of similarities between Hindu extremists and white supremacists, you know. Um, yeah. Their views are very, very similar. And so um, somehow American politics is very uncannily resonating with Indian politics right now. Oh, that figures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm not going to sleep as well tonight as I wanted to. <laughs> that's, that's, I, we got to all get along and, and this this yelling and screaming and calling each other a liar and not believing anything that's, that is actually true. And then the conspiracy theories and all that, all that yeah. stuff. It's, it's, it really is. It's disheartening and it's frightening. It's exactly the same in both the countries right now. Oh, goody. Well, yeah. and then, and you got a billion people. <laughs> so, so it's amazing. So, again, we've been talking with Sobornia Roth. Why, Chaudhary? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, um, will you come back and we need to talk some more? I'll definitely come back if you invite me back. Of course, I'll invite you back. <laughs> you're, you're, you're awesome. So, thank you for being here. And if you wait right there, I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.